It's uh, the day before Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend, and I don't want to let this uh, I don't want to let this holiday pass um, without just letting you guys know that that I love the United States of America. Um, I, I can't imagine that there is a better place in the world to live than right here. Now, as I continue to make these statements, I want you to understand, though, I want to remind you that um, I don't believe that patriotism has anything to do with spiritual maturity. Amen? Those are two separate things, but I love the United States of America. And, uh, and the reason we can kneel and lift our hands is because of the people buried in this ground that gave their life for our freedom. And, and I just want to take an opportunity um, to say that this is not a long holiday weekend. This is a time where we show appreciation to the people who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Boys that went to a foreign shore who spilled their blood in the mud so that we could gather together. And we're still free right now today to be able to do this. And I want to celebrate that freedom. And I want to pray right now for every family that has given that ultimate sacrifice by sending someone to die on behalf of our freedom. Can we do that? Can we pray for those families? As a matter of fact, if, if you have served in the military or if you have a family member that's in the military or has served in the military, just stand right now for me. Let me just thank you guys so much for, thank you so much for, for your service and allowing your, your friends and family to be able to, to defend our freedoms that we have here today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now. I thank you for every man, every woman that has gone to defend our liberty. And Lord, I pray for those mothers and fathers who have lost sons and daughters. Lord, I pray for those sons and daughters that have lost mothers or fathers. For people that have lost brothers and sisters, that have lost uncles and aunts, nephews and nieces. And I pray right now that today, Father, that somehow supernaturally you would comfort them with our appreciation for their sacrifice. Now, Lord, I pray that as we continue through this long weekend, this holiday weekend, this celebration of their sacrifice on our behalf, that you would allow us to go out of our way to show kindness, to seek out those, Lord, to send a text to Facebook, to call, to go over and knock on the door and just say, we appreciate all that you've done. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen. I want to finish up our series today on Fight the Good Fight. I'm a little bit different message. Um, I, I, this is a very life application, but it's going to be life application from a, from a different perspective maybe um, than what we're used to getting. I'm going to read uh, two passages of scripture. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into the message. Amen? And then I'm going to get you um, to the buffet after everybody else, okay? I'm not going to get you there before, so I'm just going to hold you till after, amen? That way, there's no line. I, it's either before or after. I don't like to get you there in the middle, so that's what we're going to shoot for. I'm just kidding. People are already leaving. <laughs> I'm just aggravating y'all. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God... Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, we thank you for your word. It's the only change agent that we have on the face of this planet. Lord, we have sought change through so many different means and methods, but your word is the only thing that has the ability to change us at the core of our being. So right now I pray that your word would take root, the foundation of our soul. That it would bring a harvest, Lord, that people look upon and say, surely they have been with the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. There is, um, <clears throat> there is this concept, or not a concept, there is this thing, it's called cognition. Um, cognition is the process by which we mentally obtain knowledge, and that knowledge then drives perception. Cognition is our ability to process that knowledge in a way that our minds use it. There are some things that, um, that, just our, that go into our minds that we never use in an applicable way. In other words, um, the fact that um, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a cognitive concept. We apply that to life and it helps us out. Amen? But there are some things that you know that really it's only information. Those facts that you spit back out um, as you're watching Jeopardy. That's not actually life application. Well, I mean, I guess if you're on Jeopardy, maybe. But do you understand what I'm saying? So cognition, however, um, is this strange thing that seems to have a switch that flips at different points in our lives. When my youngest daughter, Lexi, um, was growing up, her, her sister read at a very early age. Um, and at four years old, Madison was reading well um, at four years old. And Lexi just didn't quite have that same ability to read. And I remember going over to my dad, who spent his entire life in education. And, and I sat down with him and I said, Dad, you know, Lexi, just, she, she's still not reading and I don't understand why she's not reading because we did the same exact thing, amen? We, we tried to be good parents to both of our children, maybe fell somewhere in the middle on both, amen? But we tried to be. We did the letters in the bathtub just like we did with everything. Lexi, just, it just didn't seem to click the same way, and I remember just being concerned because I wanted to... Now, she's four years old, okay? And I remember saying, you know, do I need to get her a tutor? Somebody to help her learn to read. And dad looked at me and he said, she just doesn't have that reading cognition yet. She just doesn't process those letters to be words yet. But listen, I just want to assure you that it's going to click. And when it does, she's going to speed past all of the other children because of her IQ. So don't worry about it. It's going to happen. He said, if in four or five years it hasn't happened, then let's talk about it. But right now, it's okay. So she gets into school, and her first reading comprehension test, she tests way below grade level. 
And I'm starting, I'm, I'm like, Dad's wrong. Actually, this is what I thought. For the first time, my dad is wrong. Because he's just one of those guys that just seems to know everything. Amen? Or at least he convinces you he does. <laughs> By the end of that school year, not only had she learned to read, but she tested three or four grade levels ahead in her reading comprehension because that switch of cognition just seemed to flip. And we look at life and all through our lives, there are these different cognitive switches that flip. Um, how many of you have ever heard of midlife crisis? Raise your hand. And now, we say that as a bad thing, right? Every time you hear the word midlife crisis, it's, but here is what happens for a midlife crisis. It is just simply the fact, and usually men get the blame for this, but it's not just men. Women have a midlife crisis. It just happens earlier in life. And the perspective is more positive than what is seen in men's lives because it happens in women when they move past wanting to be married and start looking towards motherhood. It's a cognitive switch that flips. They begin to perceive the world in a different way. For men, instead of looking ahead, the midlife crisis happens when they're standing on the other side of the point and they look behind and unfortunately view from a perspective that they feel like they have missed out and they make unwise choices many times at this moment in their life. Amen? But it's a real thing. But it's all about perspective. And I believe that we also have some spiritual cognitive switches that happen in our lives. And I believe that as we look at the way the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, we can see that and if we will understand it and grab hold of it, that it can bring some great freedom, especially to those of us who are more mature in the faith. Older people. I didn't necessarily just mean know the word. I meant life status. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy who is a young man. Who's still full of, of vigor and vitality. Who is leading a church and pioneering ministry and, and doing powerful great things. And he looks at Timothy and he says, Okay, here's, here is the concept, Timothy, that you are standing on the front side of potential and you're looking, to ahead, uh, looking ahead to everything that you can accomplish. I want you to go and fight the good fight. I want you to endure. I want you to understand that there is eternal life and that you're pressing towards it and you are dragging people kicking and screaming with you. That all of that potential lies ahead of you and as a result... There's so much energy and so much vitality that is recognizable because the potential of tomorrow is greater than the failure of yesterday. And new believers, when you come into the faith, you have this exhilaration and this excitement and this energy because everything is brand new. You wake up and that freedom that you feel because you've been cleansed and washed from your sins. I don't know how many times I've had it explained in an altar that somebody stands up and it says, like, I feel like I've had a million pounds lifted off my shoulders. 
and all the potential of who Jesus is and what he's going to do in my life and and all the transformation and the destiny and all of those things that are still locked away just simply by the module of time. And we know that if we just keep pressing, if we just keep fighting, that we're going to see glorious and great things happen in the future because it's who God has called us to be. And older saints look at those new Christians and they think, wow, that's just so much energy. But one day they'll learn. It's like that proverbial wet blanket. Because when we're on the other side and we're looking back, come on somebody. When we've already been through some trials, some tribulations, when we've already already seen the Lord do all those miraculous things and those miracles are not new anymore. Mm. That we've heard John 3.16 so many times that it doesn't stir us the way it used to stir us. That we feel like we're just existing and waiting Until Jesus comes back and the reward ahead is the only thing that could possibly be looked forward to. You know, in a study done of people who died on Mount Everest, a vast majority of the people who die on Everest die on the way down the mountain, not up the mountain. Did you know that? They die after they've gone and they've reached the pinnacle. And on the way back down, they die because they don't have the goal and the excitement of pushing ahead of something that they've never achieved before. And it's because they have lost that excitement, they die on the way back down the mountain because they do not have a vision to take other people up with them the next year. That's why very few guides die. Because they have a vision and they live their life to continue to take people up the mountain. No matter how many times they go up, they keep taking people up the mountain with them. And when we stand on the other side of this cognitive switch that flips, and we get to this second passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, Listen, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race He's still very much engaged in kingdom behavior because he's writing to those who still have all of the potential in front of them. And he's saying, listen, just keep pressing and one day you're going to be where I am and you're going to be looking back and encouraging somebody to come on up the mountain and bring somebody with you. See, it's our job as mature saints not to coast until heaven but to get involved in the lives of those Believers that are still in their formative years and take all of the information that we've gained so that it's not these peaks and valleys of spiritual experience. How discouraging it is for a young believer to see a miracle on Sunday and lose their job on Monday. But as mature believers looking back, we know that that's just life that happens. And every time life happens, it's an opportunity for Jesus to show up and do something amazing. That it may not look like the same energy, 
but there's still a connectiveness to purpose. No matter how old we are and where we are in our journey with the Lord, it's just a different perspective that we see the job of ministry done from. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at a plank. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Hypocrisy is not just doing something that we know is wrong. Hypocrisy is not seeing clearly the stage of life we're in and engaging the Lord in ministry from that perspective. What Jesus is saying is, get your seeing right. Get your eyes right. It's not about the the splinter and the plank. It's about perspective. It's about seeing clearly the things that are ahead or behind and then reacting to those things from a kingdom standpoint so that we continue to engage the Lord at our place in our spiritual journey so we're continuing to pull people up the mountain and pouring into people that which we have learned. It is from your greatest pain and failure that you can help people who have yet to experience those same things. For those of you that have struggled from substance abuse and you've been broken and and torn through substance abuse, and you know those struggles, the Lord is looking to you after you get past those things to look back and help other people through those same struggles. That have struggled through broken relationships or children that have fallen away from the faith or whatever it is that He has uniquely crafted and designed you to be exactly where you are, but get those blinders out of your eyes so you can see clearly And allow the perspective from which you stand to guide the decisions and the ministry that you now have committed into your hands. And he says, listen, Timothy, you still have the the energy and the vitality to do some things that I'm not ready to do or that I can't do anymore because of the place I'm in. Timothy, I'm writing you this letter from prison. I can't go plant churches anymore. But I can tell you how to do it. Do you you see that? Do you understand the different perspectives that this is written from? Because Paul realized that no matter where we are in our faith journey, there is no coasting. There is no time to take our foot off the pedal. That kingdom living is wide open. Pedal to the metal foot through the floorboard a hundred percent of the time it just looks different based on what stage of life that we're in the apostle Paul one of the most prolific writers in scripture prolific from the standpoint of quantity and quality the giver of most New Testament church doctrine realizes as he's in a prison cell 
listen, try to paint you a picture here. As he is in a prison cell, isolated and confined, unable to go and do the things that he once loved to do, to go into foreign lands and different cultures and creatively preach the gospel based on the tools that were around him. And he sits in a cell and he begins to pen letters. Letters that would still to this day be shaping the thoughts and processes of the church of Jesus Christ. That in his last days, he was more effective than in his beginning days because so many of his beginning days we don't have recorded because it's in those early energy periods where we just go, go, go. I wish I had written down some of the things that I thought about and some of the things I did earlier in my ministry because I don't even remember what they were even though they were effective. Pastor Shane comes to me and asks me all the time, hey, when you were doing youth ministry, now first of all, it wasn't that long ago, okay? I'm not that old. He said, listen, back in the day is what he says. Back in the day, you know, when when the ark was being built and you were doing youth ministry, how did you do this? And I think to myself, I I, I don't know. I I can't remember how or why I did those things. I remember the success of those things, but I don't remember how or why. And the reason was because I was doing it. I was building it. We were fighting the good fight. But now, because of perspective, and I'm on the other side, and I have fought the good fight, and I have fought those demons, and I have fought those battles that used to bring me to my knees, and now that foe is conquered, and it can never beat me again. Come on, somebody. I stand, and I look back on those days, and now I have the perspective of helping other people get through those times, and now I'm much more purposeful in the things I do because it's all about bringing people with me instead of just doing it myself. And I want you to know that if you've been saved longer than I've been alive, this is the right season of ministry for you because you can finally make a difference. You can write those letters and sing those songs that the world will sing and provide that ministry that people will remember because it's impactful. Pastor Clayton, come on. I'm going to get you all there before. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Let me stop right there. I was taught in Bible college by a very wise professor that when you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, that you should stop And find out what it's there for. He says, go, therefore, 
And what's the purpose of going? What's the purpose of the energy? What's the purpose of everything that we do? To make disciples of all the nations. It's not just about busy energy saying we're being productive for Jesus. If I had it to do all over again, everybody look at me. Now, Pastor, I'm not relieving you of these responsibilities. If I had it to do all over again, as I look at my early days in ministry, I would have never done a lock-in. And this is why. Because a lock-in is only about behavior modification in the moment of trying to keep the girls out of the boys' room and vice versa. Amen? There's no discipleship that happens after 11 p.m. It's empty energy spent. I wouldn't have done many of the trips and many of the things that I planned because it was just empty energy being spent and there was no disciples being created. It was just free entertainment for your children. When you should have been entertaining your children. We do all these things with no purpose wrapped around it. Because the purpose is to make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing in them the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Not your first 15 years of being saved. Always. I'm always there. And if I'm there, there's a purpose and a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of this construct of time that ends when you move into your rest and your reward. I will be with you every day you are serving. I will be with you no matter what the perspective is. I will be with you. But understand this, that you are vital no matter where you're at in your Christian walk. And it's up to you mature saints and believers to pull these youngsters along and to disciple them and turn them into the soul-winning, purpose-filled believers that they are intended to be. That the youth and the vitality is there to go and to do and, I, and the wisdom of maturity is there to teach and to form. And if we will truly come together as the body of Christ, understanding that it's only perspective, the call is the same. It changes and it looks different. But the call is the same. To make disciples. 
And if we'll see clearly where we are, the Lord will use us in powerful ways. I don't know about you, but I believe the world desperately needs discipling right now. Let me say that again. I'm not talking about the church, although the church can use some discipling too. The world desperately needs discipling. When does discipleship start? Does it start at the moment of salvation? No. It starts every day you talk to someone about the Lord. It starts before salvation. It starts when you engage people in those conversations. It starts when you share the struggles of being in the middle of your testimony. And young people, find one of these senior saints and find out how they make it through. Find out how, find out how they stayed married for 50 years. How they stayed married for 51 years, for 60 years. Find out how they made it through. Find out how that person got over their addiction and they're walking and they've been sober for 10, 15, 20, 30. We got people in this church that, that were addicted and they've been clean for over 50 years now. Who the enemy came in and destroyed a marriage, but they're able to live fulfilled lives even beyond that without the guilt and the shame of yesterday. Come on, somebody. And your energy can draw people, and their wisdom can teach people. And if we do it together, we'll be the church that God called us to be. We'll be an agent of transformation in our community. Everybody stand with me all over the building, right there at home. Give me your full attention right now. I want you to know that the Lord is not done with you. Right there, ladies. You're gathered around that screen and you're watching this service right there at the prison. I want you to know God's not finished with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't given up on you. Your perspective may be shifted, but the call is still real. And we have much to do. It's the time to put our hand to the plow and not look back. Because we are living in the grandest opportunity and time the church has ever seen. And listen to me. God chose you for it. He didn't, he didn't choose D.L. Moody. He didn't choose Spurgeon. He didn't choose Wesley. He didn't choose Wigglesworth. He chose you for such a time as this. As he brought people into population centers and now sending people into suburbs. Gathering them in our local communities to hear the gospel spread by the local church. And you were the evangelists he chose for the job. What an opportunity we have. And right there, thank you so much for joining us. We love you so dearly. I want you to know that we're starting a brand new small group on Tuesdays um, at, at 8 p.m. It's going to be it's going to last 30 minutes. It's going to be a Zoom group. If you're interested in that group, you need to go over to seastone.church slash groups and choose the Tuesday evening small group. 
This is especially for those of you who, uh, who are not coming and, and gathering live, and we respect your decision. We love you so much. We want an opportunity, though, for you to build community, too. So we're going to have that Zoom small group specially crafted and created for you. But you need to go to that link so that we can send you that Zoom link so you can participate in that. The rest of you need to find a group. You can participate in that, that, that Zoom group if you want to, but you need to be in a group. If you don't want to be in a group, I don't even know why you still come. I talk about it every week. I would get sick of it. I'd be like, I'm not listening to that guy say group one more time. I'm out of here. It's important. But that group is specifically for you. So please be, be part of that. Seastone.church slash groups, the Tuesday evening Zoom group. Sign up. We'll get your information and send you the link to it. But before we say goodbye, I want to pray for you. Everybody stretch your hands towards those cameras right now. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you touch every household, that you touch the gathered church right there at the prison. Lord, that you heal, that you set free, that you give purpose and direction. That right now you manifest yourself in a tangible way. Be closer than people ever thought you could. More real than they ever imagined. Right now in this moment. Father, I pray that you do miracles. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.